Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Are you still working on your fictional podcast? Yeah, I actually am. We, um, we actually had a really good call with a potential uh, collaborator this uh, this company called macro um, had shown some interest and they're they're honestly like one of the coolest people that's reached out they were responsible for producing sorry to bother you they work they they manage um a few Michael B Jordan there's like a pretty good roster and like in, in interesting uh, group of people associated with it. Um, we haven't gotten any conference, but they're they're very interested. So, um, hoping that that goes somewhere pretty soon. Sorry to bother you. That was Boots Riley, wasn't it? Who directed that? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how they have a musician making a film for them, and now they've got a musician making a podcast for them, possibly as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so crazy, right? Well, he was. Yeah, I guess because he was a fi- he was a musician. That's crazy. I think he was a rapper, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's honestly pretty crazy. By, you know, kind of creating that podcast, is that allowing you to tell a story that you wouldn't be able to convey in your music? Is that a different kind of story than you would usually portray? I think it definitely is. I think um, in terms of what I identify with in terms of like my music and sort of how I express things in my music... I think I think it's just merging two different types of art forms, like obviously like a story dialogue, like in a very conventional sense with the podcast and then trying to make that into something that people can listen to for, you know, 40 minutes or 30 minutes. So it's it's I think it's 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 like physically different. And I think that that that's like obviously a a major difference. But I think in terms of like the actual musical content, I think certainly similar i think i it's going to definitely have elements of things you might hear from me 
in general, but it, it's, it's also kind of like, I think like some of it's also, me, it's not just me singing. It's not just me playing. So it's, it's like, I, we're trying to like get a, a group of people together to, to play these roles. I might actually star in it, but I might also not. Have you had to before all? Yeah, a little bit. Not, not a whole lot. Um, I've actually been recently i've been on set for this show this tv show called godfather of harlem and i've been scoring the music for the tv show um which has been really fun and awesome just like kind of refreshing experience and i was a jazz studies minor and a lot of the music is jazz um all of it is jazz and so i'm like covering stuff with this band um i hired like a a band to play with me and then i play the saxophone and then i wrote a few songs for it as well so it's been it's been really cool but it's also required me to be on set because i'm also in the band that's in the tv show um and we've actually showed up on like eight episodes i think which is like a lot more than i expected i think we were only supposed to do two it's been really fun and and just like a nice interesting surprise and Forrest Whitaker is such an incredible actor so it's really cool to just kind of see him in action and see random people that I've recognized through watching movies in general (laughs) so I don't know (laughs) I imagine Forrest Whitaker's got quite a, a presence in person it was surprising man I'll be honest because I I never thought that he I didn't know he was that big. He's like a huge dude. He's like six three or something, and he, but he looks kind of squat, you know. And then you're like, oh wow, he's like just like this big presence. You're right, and 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 also so nice, man. Such a nice dude. Like he he came up to the whole band and just like introduced himself and everything. Uh, this is actually the second time I've met him. I did one small thing for Godfather of Harlem last season, um, but then this season, I guess he just waved at us because obviously it's COVID. Um, he wasn't quite as like, you know, but it's, it's really cool and and super cool that he's, he's into it. And I guess he's also a really big jazz head. So it's an honor that he continues to hire us back, I guess. How many projects are you working on at one time then? Cause you've kind of got your musical outlet, you've got composing, you've got a podcast. Yeah, man. Honestly, um, a lot I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing, well, I guess, I guess it's always kind of something, but it's. I mean, uh, I guess it's really just like my music, this podcast idea, and then the, you know, the show with Forrest Whitaker, but I don't know. And then like random stuff that I'm doing with other artists, that's really it. But like, it's not all happening at the same time. So it sounds like, sounds like a lot more than it is, you know, like the schedule, for example, for Godfather of Harlem is very like specific and we only have to be there a certain amount of time and and whatnot it's 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 very manageable for me but yeah sometimes it feels more overwhelming than others do you tend to block it like will you have a week where you're doing the show will you have a week where you're making your own music a few days where you're developing the podcast do you do it in phases yeah i would say it's definitely phases whenever i have the time i'm not i'm not much of an organizational person so whenever i have time and it's on the top of my head i'll just do it then you know i don't i don't like to write well, I do like to write stuff down, but I, I just tend not to because of, I think I'm just like, okay, I got to do this now, you know, and then I get distracted and then I do something else. And so, yeah, I, I definitely kind of just work on things when I get them almost immediately. And then, and then either it gets done or I almost finish it. And then I finish it another like two days later or something. 
It's funny you mention, you know, writing for other artists as well and collaborating in that domain because I had Spielberg was on the podcast. Oh, no way, dude. Yeah, that's cool. When did you collaborate with him? Because you're on his record. Well, not on his record, but you wrote for his record. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, he's such a sweetheart. I, uh, we've worked, dude, that must have been four years ago. Yeah, was when I when I did that. Maybe maybe three years ago, but it was it was definitely kind of like early days, and and I and we had sort of got connected because I remember really loving. He did this project with this band called Bondax. You know Bondax? I'm unfamiliar. Oh no way! American band? No man, they're from they're from Manchester. They're a duo. Bondax. Bondax. B O N D A X. I'm gonna check Dude, them out. You gotta check them out, man. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, so I used to, I don't know. I was on. I kind of got my start on SoundCloud, and was like really into like music production and and all of that. And he, the, Bondax was one of like the biggest like artists like out of that whole sound at the time. Like I don't even know. It might have been like 12, 2013, 20, 2014. But they did. They had some sort of like relationship, them and Bondax. Um, and so, yeah, when Spielberg, hit, like I, I hit Spielberg up a few times, I think what ended up happening was like we just kind of ta- started talking because I was like, oh, I was really into like what he was doing. And, and I, I actually found Spielberg through Bondax. It was just really cool because I just like kind of just connected with him and then immediately. And then like we, we actually didn't even meet until. He came to my house. Yeah, those like almost four in years. In NYC. Ago. Yeah, in New York. Um, and I've been at this very place now for nearly five years. So it's pretty crazy. Is this still the place where you, is it like 10 other people you live with? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's fluctuated between literally 10 and 15 people at any point. Right now it's 12. Wow. But uh, yeah. Do you need busyness around you in that way? Do you need stuff to constantly be going on to kind of stimulate you? Yeah, it doesn't, it's not as crazy as it sounds, you know, like there's a lot of, um, quiet, you know, like right now there's nothing going on, you know, everyone's like hanging out or doing something in their room. So it doesn't feel as overwhelming as it sounds. And there's a ton of space. Like I have my own room and I can sort of work at my own pace and it feels natural. So yeah, it's been, it's been good. Are you all creative people? Yeah, so basically, I am the one musician in the house. There's a there's a there's a music manager who lives in the house as well. Um, he's a good friend, and then there's actually a, a pilot who also lives in the house, which is kind of cool. Wow. Um, there's a cartographer. There's this guy Matt who works at Google. There's a bunch of people who yeah. There's one person who's actually in in graduate school, and then. Couple, yeah, it's like kind of all over. I feel like there's a couple. There's definitely. There's also an artist who lives in the house, like a like a physically like like drawing artist person, um, and so yeah. So it's definitely like a, a good mix of people for sure. You um, speaking of artists, you played was that a Basquiat Basquiat um, exhibition once. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah, I was involved in that the um, at the Guggenheim. Yeah, that was that was yeah so in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. That was great. Yeah, I mean, and and the La uh, Bouvier, she I think she was the person who put the the whole exhibition on, and we played in this 
kind of like amphitheater type situation, which was cool. And then we, uh, that it was weird sound. I remember it being super weird sound because it was just very echoey and boomy. Yeah, it was a good, good time. Like I was, it was honestly like, I felt like, whoa, I can't believe I'm doing this. It's like one of the coolest things, you know, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Were you kind of gearing your set to have some relevance to what was going on with the art? Was there any crossover there? Did you kind of frame it differently in your mind? I don't think so. No, I do remember sort of like learning a lot though, because we ended up after the show, we ended up going the, the curator, the art curator ended up taking us back into the exhibition Um, We kind of got like a a private tour and whatnot. And yeah, I just learned a lot about Basquiat because I'd known about him and I actually had seen his documentary. There was a really cool documentary about him I saw um, when I was like a teenager, which is so funny because I remember being like, whoa, you know, as a teenager. But then he became even bigger, you know, like 10 years later. And I was just like, this is really weird, you know, because I've known about it. Like I was like the guy that knew about Basquiat before Basquiat was Basquiat. But then also he was something that was important. But you know what I mean? Like there's like this sort of like glorification and like it's like it's sort of similar to how like Andy Warhol was big, but then like he became like larger than life, you know, when he died and, and like sort of has this kind of like name. So yeah, uh, it was it was really cool because it just it the this woman who curated the the actual exhibit basically has like the foremost no knowledge about him in general besides his family so she had a lot of really interesting information and sort of like like kind of like historical moments and and pieces that were like significant based on those historical moments do you find it easy to kind of take inspiration from other artists in that way like not necessarily musicians but just creative people oh definitely oh my gosh i love that raw creativity and just like i'm actually a fan of my own roommate she's she's really really good dana robinson she's sort of making a name for herself in new york right now too but it's like i always love seeing how people just interpret certain situations in the human experience you know and i think that if it's done well that's good art you know regardless when you're when you're collaborating with other artists and other musicians in a writing space, is that a different kind of freedom, like creative freedom if you're writing for someone else, like we were speaking about Spielberg earlier on? It definitely is to a certain extent. I think it's not, I don't know if it's a freedom. I don't think I'd call it a freedom. I would probably just call it more of like a, it feels a little bit like almost like speed dating sometimes, you know, because you're not like, you're kind of, I mean, it, it, it can feel just sort of like, oh, well, like, what do, what are, you know, because in a lot of times, like a lot, of, a lot of cases, certain artists will have like a very specific t- sort of thing that they're trying to go for. And then other times it's kind of like not the case, you know, you sort of have to like step into a little bit more of a assertive role, I guess, in some ways. Um, but, but it's like always out of, you know, sort of like a respect. I think that that's really um, what defines it for me offering that perspective but also out of respect and being like hey like i think this is like what you should try you know not not that or or uh, if they have a very specific vision you you can be like cool you know and 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 maybe i i don't usually like to fight it uh, fight people on that kind of thing if they really are gung-ho about it you know i think it, it, it wouldn't really make sense but 
But yeah, if, if you were disagreeing to that extent, you'd probably think, why are we even collaborating in the first place? You know, so like maybe it wouldn't even be beneficial. But yeah, I don't know. It, it can feel like freedom. I guess I guess it just depends on who you're working with, you know, and what the what the the vibe is. And, and I think like, yeah, Spielberg was super easy to work with, super chill. Like, I think we were just kind of trying shit, you know. Had you been to Korea at that point? When you were working with him, you know, I think it was right around that time because, like, I was I was still working, I was still working in real estate. I know that much. So yeah, it was definitely before we were working before I went to Korea. When you travel that far to collaborate and write and produce and learn, is there a process of that kind of traveling and making a journey that sparks something creatively? It definitely can. Yeah, it definitely can. I think. I think I was also like when I was in Korea, like for example, like I was also very motivated to just like really make something special. Yeah, I think traveling certainly helps, or it can sort of give a different perspective because you're in a new, you're a new, you're in a new place, you're in a new physical place, and I think that like me being here in my you know bedroom studio situation, it's gonna it's gonna have a certain sound to it because of the way that I work, you know. There can be a comfort that comes from that too, though. Like if you're completely comfortable in the place you're working in. Definitely. Definitely. But I think it's also sort of like a, like I feel comfortable here, but like I also feel like sort of restricted. Like there's certain things I don't have. Like I don't have a piano. I have a MIDI keyboard, but I don't have a piano, you know? So like if someone has a piano and like an amp and like a whole like, like I'm, I'm very restricted here in what I can actually do. So I think that, <clears throat> in some cases, it sort of gives me more direction, but in also in some cases, maybe it, it, it stunts my creativity. Like, I, I feel like I can always try making anything here, but, you know, it's like when I'm in another location or when I'm traveling, it's like a very, it, it provides like a whole new kind of like perspective, not only just like being in a new place, but also that 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 experience of, you know, spending time in transit, I think, can certainly sort of inspire something. Where do you go when you want to play piano? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I guess. I, I guess I could go to a studio. I don't have. A, I don't have a location to go to play piano. I guess uh, there's a, there's this one place called Shifted that I really like, and I actually that's where we've been recording a lot of the Godfather of Harlem stuff. We'll rent out the the big room in the studio and they have a beautiful piano there. So actually that's probably my answer. So I'd probably go to, to shifted, shifted music recordings. Is that where, so did you write something like, something like dying in the subtlety, for example, was that written on piano or was that written on the MIDI keyboard? So I actually wrote that on bass. Um, oh, okay. There's a bass line that I'm playing. It's like boom, bum, boom, 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 boom 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 and then like it was really just the bass that i was kind of like oh this and then it like i was swinging with those drums which are really nice those drums are actually live we were we recorded those this guy named ian ewing i actually follow him on twitter we we like kind of connected on twitter but then he all he also is like a fan and he came to one of my shows in milwaukee we kind of just like, he was like, yeah, man, like let's work on something. And I was like, I love, you know, I just love to like call his stuff on Twitter. So, um, he sent me those drums and I was just like, man, 
so good, you know? Um, and then I, I wrote that bass line to his drum part. And then I, I basically played, there's like this kind of strumming going on. That's actually like a, just a high bass frequency. So I just like, am playing the high bass parts on that. Um, and they sort of sound like a synth and then, and then, um, I added some electronic synths from, uh, Ableton on the chorus to make the bass a little bit fatter. And then there's the little guitar line. Yeah. But yeah. And then there's a little piano sample in the song. I actually realized that's probably why you, yeah. And that, that, yeah. that was, uh, <laughs> that was just a piano sample that I had, um, from my my sample library. I have a huge sample library. That's also a little production hack. How many? Thousands? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have gigs and gigs and gigs and gigs, probably like, <laughs> yeah, 50, 60 gigs maybe of just random samples that I've collected over time. And, and even with this Godfather of Harlem stuff, man, like I so many drum sounds and piano sounds now because like I recorded all live drums, all live upright bass. And then I played saxophone and we've done eight songs. So like, it's just a ton of material, you know, that I can sort of source for anything where I want to have like jazzy sounds or just like really fat, like snares and just like really nice upright. You know, I just have, I have it all. So I'm just like, whoo, like, that's another 50 gigs right there. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. How do you deal with that? Then if you've got so many samples, how do you deal with the kind of idea of infinite choice and the fact that there is so much to choose from? Man, I, well, a lot of times I'll, I'll be working on something and then I'll get an idea and I'll be like, oh, that's perfect. Like, let me, this song is called, you know, I have a tiger. Let me get a tiger sample. I don't know. Like that's, that's a bad example, but you know, it's like, I try to like lean into things and try to find ways to make things creative and interesting in songs. And if I want to have something that feels kind of unique and, and interesting and, and has a place, then I'll like go and find a specific sample. I think, I think the unique structures of songs are really just like the writing and then the sounds, I guess, which but I think like you're going to start with like if you unless you're making like very avant-garde non-linear music, you're going to need like drums, maybe maybe not drums, but maybe you'll need piano or maybe you'll need guitar. So I kind of try to like set boundaries for myself early and then work around that. But it's it's sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Put the limitations then. Yeah, definitely. I think that's also like my style of of making music is I like to work within limitations because yeah, the, the possibilities are just endless, you know? And so if you could spend, I think that's also an issue that a lot of people have with like writer's block is that they'll like have all of these ideas and then they just kind of like, oh, well, nothing's good. And it's like, well, you might've had something good if you didn't try 25 different versions of that, you know? Um, and I, and I'm not saying that as a criticism cause I've definitely done that where it's like, oh, I have 25 different versions of the same song, but like, a lot of times that's happening when the song's already done and I'm just trying to think about like the nuances of the song, you know, but like a lot, like I have a lot of friends who or like people I know who will make songs and like, they'll be their own worst enemy. You know, and I'm like, this song is great. Like, why are you making it worse? Like they'll literally make it worse because they're like, have this weird, like, you know, where like, Oh, well, you know, 
doesn't feel right or, you know, or, and I, I mean, I get that, but like, but like sometimes I think it's the other people telling you is also really helpful. So I have some people who, who I trust and I'll ask, you know, honest feedback about like what they think and, and it's good to have that kind of perspective and not, and not get in your own head to the point of just like ruining a song. Yeah, it's funny. We I was recording another podcast just before we did this one, and we were kind of speaking about that, that there's almost this hunt for perfection. And as a result of that, the more you work on it, you lose the authentic kind of core of it. Definitely. Definitely. Man, yeah, I, I definitely, there was one, one specific song that I really loved, or I really love, but by this friend of mine. And I was just like, man, the first one was so good. And then like, he ended up putting out I think a worse version and it's, you know, I can't really do anything about that, but it was definitely like kind of disappointing. Cause I was like, man, you know, and I, I you're almost enemy. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Do you, as part of the process then, do you have to identify what it is that's really special about the original idea so that you don't lose it? Definitely. Definitely. And I, and I think I'm also making a very conscious awareness that I'm not talking about demoitis, which is a completely different thing. Demoitis is a real thing. There's also certain character that you can get in specific recordings that you can clean up, and and it has nothing to do with like it being a rough mix or a you know shitty mix or whatever. And so, keeping that in mind when finalizing music is important because like yeah, I think I think I think demoitis can be a thing but i think that there's also certain things where it's like hey you don't you don't need to like reinvent the wheel here you don't need to like completely change the drums because the first drums that were way simpler and fatter you gotta make a messy you know make them all messy and shit and you're like whoa what's going on like why would you do that <laughs> you know with what you were saying earlier as well about how one of the really important things is that the sounds you know they're interesting and the radio is incorrect and they're personal to you to a certain degree is in the same way that you have a sample library, do you have a bank of lyrics that you can pull from? Like in terms of references, like I'm thinking of something on, we're talking about Dying in the Subtlety, the Jason Statham reference. Yeah. That's part of what makes that song. It just grabs you like that. Yeah. Yeah. I So a lot of times I will just write things down and look at them years later. That song was not an example of it, but that that's a really great reference. But like, there's definitely songs like that for sure where I write stuff down and I'm like, this is hilarious or this is weird. Or, this is like so interesting and I want to put this somewhere, but I have no idea where. So yeah, I have, I have a notes folder where I just like, we'll just like have a bunch of just random lyrics and I'll just be like, does this fit here? You know? Do you ever do that with subject matter as well? Like if we look at Roots, the last single you put out, that's a song that the kind of idea at the heart of it and what you're trying to explore, it's very timeless. Definitely. Yeah, that song actually is a great example. That's actually great because when I first made that song, it was it didn't sound anything like that. Um, the first verse lyrics from Adams of the Comets, Life is Never Promised, You Could Make Me Wanna Lie and Be Dishonest. That was actually in another song that I had called Roots, but it sounded completely different and I'd never I never put it out. But then... I worked with this producer named Dan Nigro, um, and he, him and this drummer named Jimmy Stack had that, they basically had that song already done. I'll be honest. They, it was already pretty much there. And I was just like, this is a really dope track. Like, I just like loved it, you know? And that's a very rare thing for me where I'm like, oh, 
like, cause I, I, I definitely like mostly produce my music, but it's very rare when I find someone who I can be like, Oh, this shit bangs. Like, I don't even really need to do a whole lot, you know? And that was you the can play resonate with it. Yeah, yeah. That was like a really rare case where I was like, like this song is dope. Like I'm going to just take these lyrics and put them on this song. And that's basically what I ended up doing for roots for, for the most part. There, there's a few things that I changed. There was a few things I changed, but like the chorus is the same as the other version. The first verse is the same. And then the bridge, I actually ended up writing for the song. It's interesting that you referenced when we were at the start of that, you referenced the, the, you know, the opening few lines and that line, you could make me want to lie and be dishonest. Is that what prompts the revelation for the entire song? When you realize that the kind of problem at the root of the song could affect you in a really fundamental way and change force you to do something you don't feel is right yeah well i think it's like sort of like trying to get to the point that like so much of people are willing to go so far as to like ruin their lives to maintain relationships that aren't good for them you know so that's really all i was trying to say i wanted to just kind of reflect on that idea and sort of think about like yeah, like the, the the smallest thing to the largest thing, you know, from atoms up to comets. This life we have is just so, it's so finite, you know, it's not, it's not going to last. But like, you're going to, you could literally make me want to ruin it because I care about you so much, you know. That was like trying to just kind of be the most dramatic I possibly could out of the, out of the gate. And then like the, the follow up is sort of just like... You know, the simple things, they mean much. Just stay a while, be in touch. Like, I'm, you know, I'm leaving work. Like, let's hang out, you know? But it's like, it's like, okay, this is like fucked up, you know? Could, could you draw a parallel between that musically as well? Like in the same way that a person can have a hold over you. If you came up with a beat at a certain point in your life and you're very attached to it, can it then inhibit you from developing it in a way that feels right for the song? Hmm. Like, like you're saying like, uh, like if someone had a song or something, if like, like, sorry. You- yeah. I mean, like, so take, for example, the beat that we, we were talking about the beat for Roots, right? And you yeah. completely connect with that and you really resonate with that beat. So you then try and put the lyrics onto it. Could the fact that you're so attached to that beat inhibit you from changing it in a way that feels right for the song in a same way that that person inhibits you from changing in a positive way? Can you draw a parallel between that musically? Can mute? music kind of have a hold over you in the similar way that a person can oh interesting hmm that's an interesting thought but i i honestly don't have an answer because i think i think that's the part about music that you know it's kind of like sort of impossible to know that answer because it's 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 imperfect you know music is imperfect and i think that that's why people relate to it and if like we were saying like or even earlier, it's like, oh, well, maybe we could change this or maybe we could make it better, quote unquote, but then it's not, you know, and then and so and then maybe but maybe there is a way to make it better. But I don't know the right music theory or I don't have the perfect knowledge. But I think that that hypothetical is like a perfect example of kind of how, how beautiful it is that it's it's just the way it is, you know, and you can't at some point you have to stop. You know, at some point you have to just let it be what it is. Otherwise, it's not coming out. Right. So it's a a good idea is better than a perfect idea that never ceases to exist or never 
exists, I guess. Is that kind of why you never decided to master an instrument either? I know you've spoken about that previously too, that you never really had that desire Definitely. to completely become the master of one thing. Never, never had that desire. I, I sometimes think about it as like a cool thing that could happen to me or I, I would love to. And, and I think it's sort of like because I play an instrument well enough, well, two instruments well enough that I can understand what it might take, but I just don't have that desire because I know what it would take was an obsession. And I'm not obsessed with saxophone. I'm not obsessed with guitar. I'm not obsessed with flute. And I'm, and I'm really not that great at most instruments. I'm flute and saxophone. I can hang for sure. But like, it's just not a desire to me. And it's not like I, like I said, it's just, it's not because I don't, I, I look down on people who like, I think it's beautiful to, to be able to master an instrument. And I think it's sad that most, more people, it's not being encouraged. I'm sad that it's not being encouraged as it used to, as much as it used to be. But I don't think it's also being rewarded as much as it used to be. Not saying that that's my motivation either. I think to speak to the fact that, yeah, like nothing is, is going to be perfect and you have to just try to create something that feels inspiring to you and maybe to other people. And like, I, I got obsessed with music production. I got obsessed with writing big picture stuff in general. And that's why I also just, I just love movies. Like if I actually, the more and more I think about it, like if I just had all the time in the world, I'd become a director, you know, like I love the idea of like understanding that world because it's so big picture. I also just don't know enough about cameras, but I've literally directed, I pretty much directed dying in the subtlety. I for shot for shot. Like I, I like wrote the whole treatment. It's something that I love enough to literally do that, you know? And so like for me, the idea of mastering an instrument is cool in theory because it's, oh, it's when you hear someone who can play an instrument so well, it is so awesome, you know, because it's just like you can hear, you can hear those hours, you know, you can really hear those hours. Is there anything that you think you need to master in order to convey yourself, in order to be understood and what you want to co- convey creatively? I, I think, I think, I think creatively being able to master, I guess, the art of expression you know, self-expression, because I think there, that's like a weird thing to say, probably a little like, but I think there are a lot of people who don't know how to express themselves, you know, (laughs) they don't, they just, they, or they, they don't know how to do it in a way that feels like authentic or is authentic because obviously there are a lot of people who aren't being authentic, who are convincing and maybe they're not trying to be authentic maybe that's not what they're trying to sell or, or 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 express to anyone but yeah i think it's the motives behind it and like the ability to express yourself in a way that's masterful you know that's a skill that's just that is a mastery that i think is important is the reason that maybe so many people struggle with that because in order to express yourself in order to be able to master expressing yourself you need to be completely honest with yourself and people might not realize that they're not being honest with themselves. Yeah, I I think that it could be they not they don't realize, but it could also be that they're not comfortable with that. There are a lot of people who aren't comfortable with that, even like big artists, you know, or people who are just getting started. It's just like it's all just about like I don't, I don't know if I was as comfortable. Excuse me, I don't know if was, I was as comfortable like with my current form of expression when I first started, or like I don't know, like I, I had to like I wasn't a performer in the same way that I feel like I'm a performer now, you know, like three years ago. So 
it's really just got to be that that you know it has to be that internal dialogue that really sets things off was there a specific experience that kind of prompted you on the path to get to where you are today like you're saying there were maybe three years ago you weren't a performer in the same way you were now and you couldn't fully express yourself in that way i think i knew i wanted to do music and i was like well shit i'm actually doing music now (laughs) you know like I've made this start, like I'm on this path now, I guess I should keep going. And to be honest with you, that was enough for me to just keep going. Cause I, I'm, I'm also a pretty like self-motivated person, not because I'm trying to sell self-motivated, like you don't have to be that. But I think personally, like I just, Hey, people are streaming my music. I'm going to fucking keep putting that out. You know, I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to make sure it's genuine, but I'm going to make what I can and and do what I can for this experience. And I think that that was like, for me, that that was the sign that I was like, look, like I want to learn how to do the things that I wasn't necessarily inclined to do when this started. That's how I started to tour more and I started to engage with fans like a little more frequently and things like that. But I'm also like, it's still a little bit of a struggle for me. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not like a very external person to begin with. So I, uh, I try, I try though. Just cause you constantly have to be on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not constant. I'm not like the type of person who likes to just, yeah, to be answering fans and questions and like, I, I really appreciate my fans and I, I do engage with them, but I feel like I do just have like to recharge at the end of the day and, and I have a Patreon where like I've, I've released a bunch of like music tutorials and some sneak peek things and things like that. And it's, it's, it's like definitely work, you know, it's definitely work and, and it's mental work. And so I like to reserve a lot of that for like, you know, creating music and being honest with myself. Yeah. As I mentioned, it's, it's not like a slight towards anyone it's just it's just who i am and i I just have to like listen to myself a little bit too you know is that partly what drew you to making music the fact that that, is that a space that you feel a lot easier on your communication with other people and the way that you express yourself yeah i think i think well I, i like to express myself through music i like to it's something that made sense to me you know being creative and being outlandish and being sort of like you know wonky and whatever it felt good to do that in music because i could just be in my little box and do my thing and then um and then put it out there you know but it 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 didn't feel like there was pressure around that in the same way as like yeah it just didn't feel like there was as much pressure around it so i i just i i i like to create music you know it's just like an outlet for me is there more pressure around it now? I think there is a little bit more pressure, but I think also I I remove myself from from that. I try to just remove myself from it in some ways. Like I don't let it take over, you know. I just kind of, hey, here's some music, <laughs> you know. Here's here's my next song. Here's my album. I I'm trying to not put pressure on it because I think that that is what will. Yeah, I think that's what will, will make me feel worse if I just, you know, try to like put pressure on it. But I think I think in general, it's always good to have a little pressure, you know. And so I keep I keep some of that around, but I'm I also don't like it to to be like consuming, you know. We've spoken a little bit as well about 
this idea of expressing yourself completely authentically and honestly, if you put too much pressure on it, would it unbalance your ability to do that? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, for, that's just for me, I think. I don't know. Like, it's also kind of like a matter of being convincing, right? So maybe it doesn't have to be authentic, but it's convincing, you know, <laughs> and people will go for it. So I don't pretend to to be like the arbiter of what is right in the world, you know, and, and who who is who is saying the right things when they're authentic and yourself, you know, man, people are so many artists are inauthentic, you know, so many. So, and that's fine, but it's like, they're also, that's like what they're doing, you know? And that's like their whole steez. It's not a crime. I just think, I think it's more of just like the matter of like being comfortable with whatever decision you're making because you got to keep it up, you know? And like, I just couldn't keep it up if I was going to like try to be like taking my shirt off and doing all this like hot boy shit. Like I just, I, this is not me, you know? And like me, like I, I feel like there's points where I try to like maybe try that, but it's not, it just doesn't feel right to me, you know? And so like, I, and I, and I, I'm like, I'm into modeling. Like I'm into that kind of thing. I'm, I'm not like anti doing any of that, but it's like I said, it's just sort of like a comfort level and, and an ability to like sort of lean into it. And like, I just haven't had that experience yet in my life, you know? And so it doesn't feel authentic and, and, and it doesn't feel like I can maintain that in any, in any type of earnest way. So, Hey, you know, maybe I'll start another project where I, I do that. I guess all I'm saying is that like, yeah, if, you, if you're going to do that, fucking do it. But like, I, I would, I feel like I'd be supremely unhappy if I had to like do some shit that, and sell some shit that I wasn't comfortable doing. It's interesting that you were saying, you know, you're into modeling as well. I remember reading that when you were a kid, you wanted to be an architect. Yeah. Have you always had like a relationship to design in some sense in that way? And is that something you get through music as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love design. I love architecture and design. And similarly, like, I just love good film, you know, and good, like, videos and shit. Like, it's so cool to watch and, and kind of, like, observe. So there's definitely, I think, aesthetic overlap, if I were to say. Do particular parts of the process feel more tied to that than others? I mean, music production, similar, I think is, like, Automation, music production, compression, EQing. Yeah, that's all. that all feels like engineering in some ways, you know, where you're like building a space. So it would almost be like the idea, and like, you know, we we're speaking earlier about dying in the salty, you come up with it on the bass, and then you kind of put some other parts together. That's like drawing the blueprints. And then once you start to take it into that production space, that's like building it up. Would that be the kind of analogy? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's creating like, and, and I think from a design perspective and even from a clothing perspective, like I love clothes that have utility, you know, but also have fashion sense. Like I love style and and I love that style changes, but I also love utility. And so when I see something that has utility and style, I'm just like, Oh my God, like so cool. You know, like I love, uh, and, and it's different for everyone, but I, I think similarly with, with architecture or music production, it's like, I hate, filler like I don't like when there's a bunch of shit that's like clouding things up or like it's just it's just like I can't find a focus when I'm listening 
Is that one of the questions you ask yourself when you're creating? What purpose does this have? How does this serve the song? Definitely. Definitely a question I ask myself. When I say utility, it's also like, yeah, if there's like a 12 million things on a on a song, but it all like is making a statement, like that's cool too. I'm trying to think of a good example, but like, yeah, like big band stuff. My maximalist. Yeah, like big band. Yeah. Like if you listen to old school big band, there's just tons of shit going on. But it's, I mean, it's, it's really good, you know, 12 horns, guitars, you know, bass, drums. It then becomes more about what they're coming together to do as one, though, exactly. rather than the individual parts. Exactly. They come together as one, and that's the important part. So I guess in the same way, it's still kind of succinct and, and uh, stylistic in that way. Have you ever done that with your music? Have you ever had lots of little parts coming together to create something big as one? And if so, at what point does it coalesce as the one thing? Well, I guess my song Cold War, uh, there's like 27 vocal stacks on it, 28 so that's a lot of voices, you know, but 28, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bunch. It's a bunch. I just layer it a bunch of times and then that's it. That song feels so minimalist when you listen to it though. Yeah. Well, it's just like I, I compress it, you know, and I just like make it kind of, that's, that was just like one example, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, dying in the subtlety, there's like, it's, it's drums, it's big voices. It's, you know, it's not like there's kind of a lot going on in the chorus. I feel like maybe not as much in the verse. But I definitely like, I like to make thick, dense productions for sure. So we were speaking a few moments ago about the fact that you might ask yourself, what purpose does this serve in the song when you're working on it to help guide you through? Are there other questions that can serve a similar role for you that you'll ask yourself and will help give you the answers you need to progress with the song? Yeah. Like what, like, what am I trying to say, I guess, with the song, you know, like, like whether it's lyrically or how does this key sound you know does this key make me feel a certain thing what's the bpm you know well how is it too fast is it too slow i'd say those are the last few questions i'd probably ask myself at, at what stage in the process because i imagine if you shift the bpm even a few beats suddenly it could dramatically change yeah i mean uh, sometimes it's in the middle of the process sometimes it's at the end i'll i'll speed it up at the very end yeah, there's a song on my album where I did that. Wait, so had you finished the album when you did that? Was the album in a kind of complete scale? It was no. pretty much done, yeah. and then I Pretty much done, yeah, okay. Yeah, and then I, uh, I actually, one song, I actually pitched down a half step, but it doesn't sound like it's pitched down a half step. So it's kind of fun because you might not even know, you know, but I pitched my vocal and everything down a half step and then one song I pitched up a half step, but then I ended up, making a version where it was normal and then that's the one we went with so what does that change for you when you listen to it i don't know it's just like a vibe it's like it's the feeling it's a feeling yeah <clears throat> it's a really just a feeling it's nothing more than that it's a hard to it's hard to put a finger on it you know just about trusting your intuition yeah is there anything you have to do to kind of protect your intuition are there structures that you have to put in place to ensure that you still trust it and that it's if it's guiding the the songwriting process in such a pivotal way? No. I mean, I, I, I'll just go with it the way it feels. And then, I mean, I have a few friends who I always hit up and ask questions and see what they think. And I'll just kind of go back and forth with them on it. But most of the time, it's just an internal discussion, you know, with, with my team. How big is the team? Uh, my manager and uh, distributor, Kevin... And then uh, my manager has an assistant too, you know, 
So I guess it's like three to five, depending on how you think about it. But like I, I usually just show my one friend, Rob, uh, who also runs this record label that, uh, that I started. Um, and he's also a good friend and manages artists and stuff. So I know you've spoken before about your desire to kind of be a part of a collective almost or your admiration for collectives. Does that almost give you a similar kind of feeling having that really close knit team around you that you trust? Yeah, definitely. I, I used to be in a collective, um, called proper vibes back in high college. So that was like my first time ever doing that, but you know, now it's a real thing and it's a real, yeah. So it's nice. It's nice to have people around you and yeah, just express your thoughts and feelings. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.